My dog's 14. That's crazy. It's got diabetes. It's blind. And other than that, it's as happy as can be. It's like the happiest, like delirious, demented retiree you've ever met. The like, dog is demented? Yeah. How can you tell? It just it doesn't know what's going on. It's surprised by things all what the time. What kind of dog oh, is it? His name is Alpha. Beta. <laughs> beta. 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 My bad. Come my on. Bad. That's close. Your dog is named Beta. I gotta, I gotta, it's yeah. got to be on brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as beta. Alpha yeah. left my mouth, I said, wait a minute, that's uh, not right. It's Theta. <laughs> <laughs> it's the gamma squeeze. So you're saying that Beta isn't smart? So the deal is that when we got him, I had to have a like, I'm the alpha conversation. With him, uh, right? Okay. Like you look deep into his eyes and you just let him know. That's that's pretty good. Who uh Kramer names his dog after stock symbols. Are you kidding his, me? His dog is named NVIDIA, yeah. I know. I mean he his, said his 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 iguana is Taiwan semiconductors. <laughs> <laughs> look at you. All right, how we, guys? How we doing? You know how you call your wife sprinkles? Beep, boop, yeah, beep, boop, I call beep, Robin boop. Berkshire Hathaway. Dude. <laughs> right. That's like Wonderful. my thank you. Well done. Well done. Listen, while you're here, feel free to engage in a game of Simon. It's all good. So, how does that game was, work? I don't remember that game. When was the last time you played oh, with? Gosh, no, you have to turn it on. No, I, I can't turn anything on anymore. I'm married. Oh, I see. Got it. Nailed it. Dan, you know what? I got uh, somebody got Kobe as a gift, or maybe the baby. I can't remember. Night brights, remember those things? Yes, yes, the little pegs yeah, that yeah, light yeah. up at night. Yeah, I remember have the commercial one of night bright. Yep. Yeah, I have one. I'm gonna come over and play with that. Who plays with it? I don't know. I haven't it, seen it yet. It just I, sits in the house. It's just there. I am so mm. jealous of all the stuff kids have these days that is just straight up cool, like the shoes that light up when you jump on them, or Heelys. Cool. You can just like skate around on your sneaks. Those are cool. Like how, Jewish parents don't put their kids. How on about the, on the, the shoes with the wheels in them? Why not? Come on. Too much. How tech? could that not be a calamity? <laughs> We're not, Shoes we're not, with wheels. Yeah, but why don't built. you just put a uh, banana peel on the bottom of your shoe? <laughs> you will uh, not see. You will not see those uh, in, in most Jewish households. You know households. how people are complaining about inflation all the time. Mm-hmm. There's actually deflation in kids' toys. So when we were children, the yeah. what were what were the Hot Wheels like the the little tiny cars that were like you could they have a gas pedal. Those were like four hundred dollars growing up. Do you know you don't know what I'm talking about? No. What, what am no. I talking? No. What is it? It's, oh, are you talking about like you can fit in them as yeah, a kid? The, the, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah those are yeah. things that kids ride. Oh, what are dude, they? Yeah, I call them they, they're wheels. not Hot Wheels. What no. are they called? I'm sorry. Hot Wheels are I, tiny. I know, I know. I'm sorry. I know what you're talking about. It's like a replica of a car, but kid size, yeah, and they and, could yeah. drive them. And they them. drive them. When I was a kid, that was out of the budget. That was, that was yeah, that was probably like four hundred dollars. I think I got one for like ninety bucks. Yeah. You guys are too young to remember uh, Silver Spoons. You ever see that show? Tonka trucks. What are these things called? Go ahead. You ever see the show Silver Spoon? I remember it, right? It was um It's from the early 80s. Like it's, like it's definitely before old white guy. Really? No, it's like a little kid who's like Richie Rich, basically. He has everything. Okay, yeah, yeah. So oh, he... Duncan! Power Wheels. There it is. Power Wheels. Thank you, Duncan. So he would ride around in like a, a little Lamborghini or something in his uh, house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as kids, when you were like six years old, you would watch it on TV and be like, I would kill somebody for this. Absolutely. Now they're like under a hundred dollars. Everything. Yep. Right. Okay, this Lambo, this Lambo's expensive. But like look, it's six expensive. The Lambo. It's six hundred and seventy five bucks for this Lambo. No like, joke. I that see kid is definitely into crypto. Yeah. <laughs> on the East River, there are parents walking around and they just don't have to push their kids in like buggies or scooters. They just like ride up and down the river on those things. Un- until until the kid drives it over the railing into the river. And then it turns into the chitty chitty bang bang. Right, okay, right. the Bentley's only two forty. Imagine getting your kid a Bentley power wheel. What a douche move. What does that say about you, the parent, if your kid's driving around in a replica Bentley? I guess it's cute. I don't know. Fisher Price. Not not for me. I had a pedal uh, Mercedes. 
Did you? It's like a pedal one. Yeah. What do you mean a pedal one? Like powered? A bi- like, like, bi- like a bicycle. Oh. No, no, nothing powered. Like you actually manual. Pumped, you pumped the like these little pedals. That's yeah. very off brand for you, Duncan. I'm surprised. I'm surprised it wasn't. That was like a, a different like a, Duncan. Like a vet. Or something with a heavy in it. Yeah. Okay, I might have lied. These power wheels I'm looking at are like 300 bucks, but they were 300 bucks when we were a kid. You, that's because you're looking at the proper name brand ones. You yeah. need to look at like the cheap Chinese knockoffs. Yeah, I think I think I got mine from China. Yeah. I've, although, there's, is there a shortage of, of power wheels? There's no semiconductors in them right now. You can't get one. <laughs> you can't so get one. My kid actually has a Tesla version of that. It's Seriously? self-driving, so no. <laughs> but I, I'm just going to Tesla, so I don't know if you're kidding or not. They really make them. John, what's up? Coming in with three claps. Oh, here we go. Here we go. This is my favorite part every week. I honestly, well, it's loud. It's like, turn it down. Welcome to the Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Liftoff. We, meaning Ritholtz Wealth Management, partnered with Betterment to run an asset management solution for portfolios of all sizes. And on today's show, we have Dan Egan. Dan is the VP of Behavioral Finance and Investments at Betterment. The investments might be automated, but investors on the platform have access to one of our real-life human certified financial planners. So if you are new to investing, and if you're not, check out liftoffinvest.com and of course, see the disclaimers to learn more. Yo, Compounded Friends is literally the best podcast in all of investing. I have proof of this. I started getting emails from people who don't listen to financial and or investing content at all. And peop- and they're saying people are sending it to them. Like it's it's starting to go. Many people are saying. No, I'm I'm telling you. I've heard. I'm telling you. This is all this is all going on. Uh shout out to all our listeners. And if this is your first time listening to the show, you're in for a treat. We have a very, very special friend this week, Dan Egan. Dan, what is your title again at Betterment? I always forget. It's because it's, it's ridiculous. Director of Behavioral Finance you're a portfolio, and Investing. You're a portfolio manager, though. Yeah, I just I place trades all day. Wouldn't you rather be called the PM of like the Betterment Executive Portfolio Manager or something? No. Okay, so it's Director of Behavioral Let's say, yeah, Finance. Director of Behavioral Finance. Let's and Investing. Yeah. Yeah, but you're not like bullshit. You're a PhD. No, I'm not. You're not? No, you have to call me master. I'm a master. You have a, ma- you have a master's? Master. I didn't do the four years. I just did the two. Uh, good enough. Oh, what, are you busy? It's a, it's a pandemic. I want to do a, a that thing where they're like, is there a doctor on the plane? And I'm like, <laughs> no. Not yet. <laughs> All right. Listen, you are you are as real deal as it gets in terms of behavioral stuff. We're going to talk a lot about that today. Um, but the first investing-related thing I wanted to get to, I almost feel like it's the elephant in the room. We have to get to it. Are they going to catch this Brian Laundry guy or what? Use all of your skills as like a behavioral uh, scientist. Like what? What? What's going to happen with this? I have know. no he idea. He doesn't even know. About. I know, but like Brian Laundry. No, he doesn't know what you're talking about. The Is guy stealing laundry. The from guy the that office? probably killed his wife in the national park and then fled into the Everglades or wherever he is in Florida. No idea. None. 
Do you do you watch like anything, any news no. at all? Dan's been Be- in the behavioral woods. tip number one. Don't watch. Be very careful about choosing what info you consume and avoid. Most He's been of it. in the woods. You've okay, been in the woods. I have to be honest with you. I don't watch. I don't watch the news at all. You're missing like a really good one. Like this. This guy. This is drama. This is this is like a YouTube Netflix, guy. Netflix is already in production. <laughs> they have to be. This is like a, a guy that does camping videos on YouTube. Wait, with his wait, wife. wait. Is this? Did they go in in a van? Yes. All right. So you do. You do. Know. I saw. I saw. I saw a tweet about it. They. You, all right. So basically, they're. The girl was found dead. It's horrible. She's from Long Island. Yeah. But there's a twist. The guy went home, refused to talk to the police, and then his family kind of covered for him while he disappeared. So he's just gone. He's in national parks, which nobody should ever go to a national park, but he's in a national park right now. Horrible take. Horrible and, take. And hiding uh, from, like, manhunters, and Dog the Bounty Hunter is now involved. Really? I'm not even I'm not even making this up. All right, that's amazing. But pause, pause. Josh is an indoorsman. So yeah. So that's, yeah. that's on brand. Yeah, no, Yellowstone is a gorgeous place. Bryce and Zion. I mean, what are you even talking like, about? Like, just contextually. Hear what you just if said? If I ever am worried about allegedly having committed manslaughter, yeah. I would totally go to a national park. Where are you going to go? Yeah, nobody goes to those things. Who's, uh, who yeah. would ever find you? What are you talking about? Well, he's not in Yellowstone, Mike. He's in like this shithole in Western Florida that nobody would literally go into. It's o- it's only people running from the law. Florida. I'm, I'm saying he's not a Grand Tetons. He's he's like in in a swamp with snakes and alligators and probably like plutonium that they bury there. I'm just saying he's in like one of these very very remote. Nature preserves, or not botanical Wait, gardens. How do we know where he is? They're like on his trip. They're like hot dog. The bounty hunter. You should follow him on Twitter. We're not going to spend more time. Right, on what this. are we doing? You should really <laughs> catch. You should really catch up on this story, though, because I feel like it's it's getting it's getting really wild. Anyway, I think he's dead already. That's my take. Uh, I know a lot of people are curious. Dead what I already? About yeah, I think I think he's dead. I think From they're looking for a ghost. An alligator caught him. No, I think I think he probably starved to death. It's like it's been going on for two weeks. This started on September 7th. It's October. It's October. All right, let's, let's move so, on. This is where somebody like a new Netflix series drops and one person watches like three-fifths of it the first night and then they're, they're talking to you about it the next day. And you're totally. like, I watched one. What are totally. you? <laughs> I cannot tear my eyes away from what's going on with this. I don't know why, but I'm not alone. The whole country except for except for you. And me. John, are you paying attention I'm to any on, of this? I'm not on this. A little. Duncan? You know all about yeah, this. Yeah, Duncan just turned his hat around like Sylvester Stallone and over the wait, top. Wait, are they going to find this? What do you think? What, what's your take? Uh, I mean, I, I heard someone saying that sounded reasonable that uh, they think that he was throwing people off the trail. That he's not really in that park, that he went somewhere else, but parked his car there to make people think that's the last place he was. I think he's in the metaverse, like Lawnmower Man. <laughs> Possible. <laughs> wait, he's in NFT. I think they'll find him. <laughs> this is the new, um, who is the white Bronco guy? OJ? This OJ. is the new, like, did you, know, just, like, did you just say who is the white Bronco? All right, Josh, no more pop culture <laughs> topics for it's Dan. Not pop culture, it's a murder. <laughs> who is the white Bronco guy? All right, oh, let's talk. Let's oh, talk. He, oh, he's not even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. let's talk investing. Let's talk All investing. Right. <laughs> All right. I want to start with this Delta is fading away. Maybe not forever, but cases are down significantly. All over America, in Europe, cases started falling pre- precipitously two months ago. The predictions were right. It faded there. It's fading here. Hopefully there's not like a new creative way to kill us on the way, right? So everywhere that happens, what we're what we're seeing is a ramp back up in the economy, which actually may not be a great thing because I think it's inhibiting the Fed's ability 
uh, to to do what it wants to do. The inflation. No, data. it is a great thing. You mean it might not be a great thing for the stock market? Not great for no. Uh, the fact that the economy is ripping right back up in these places is making it harder, not easier. For who? I think for the Fed to do what they want to do without all the pressure of people screaming like stop the stimulus already, and I'm one of those people. Because inflation is following all of this economic growth. I'm confused. Doesn't this make it easier for yeah, them to taper? Good? Yeah, but they they obviously, for some reason, they want to do this on their timeline and they don't want to be pushed into it. So I look, I'm I'm not I'm not saying that they're gonna make the wrong decision. I'm just saying nobody who has a voice in the stock market believes that they'll make the right decision on the timing. Ben, so. ben Carlson does. What what does Ben say? You know Ben believes in the Fed. He believes in the full oh, thing. He's yeah. a Fed believer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, quote, COVID-19 cases are likely to continue falling, according to projections for C- from CDC. If they do, households could tap into a record $142 trillion in net worth and ramp up spending on in-person services, economists say. Consumer spending is the biggest driver of U.S. economic growth. All of this, that whole sentence was nonsense, was complete bunk. What do we do with – it's not going to be $142 trillion in net worth spent on anything. Right. It's just and, – and, and, oh, economists say that people will spend money if the economy opens. Yeah, no shit. Right. Anyway, um, what are we saying here? What are we saying? $142 trillion sounds like a lot of money. Is it a lot? That's it, like a lot. That's like a lot, a lot of money I mean, for household net worth. Yeah, it's a lot. I, but, so hold on. But this is the good point, right? Like I saw multiple things, and I've seen this in some of our data. You know, like you can't go out and spend money. You're going to sit at home. Maybe everyone's you get a little bit more takeout, but like everybody's balance sheets at a like household perspective, not everybody's. A lot of people's balance sheets, they're super healthy. They just couldn't spend money. They're the best ever. Yeah. So like, yes, they're going to want to undo that. They're going to go out and splurge. We're going to see some really high vacation spending, all that sort of stuff, which is good because the service the service economy needs to get back into it. But that's just you know like money going from A to B, a little bit redistributionist in a good way. But we're also going to see the balance sheets get worse, right? Why would the balance sheets get worse? Because people just, just start spe- spending it down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But worse, but the economy's better. Like, yeah. isn't that kind of what we want? Yes. Okay. Less inequality. And if the money is moving around in the economy more quickly, that velocity of money, yep. then the balance sheets matter less. What matters more is that GDP is still growing. Yep. Right? Like, I, I mean, from, from my perspective. Yep. I mean, we've been in a, like, an incredible... I don't know how to put it, like ramp and asset values, both because of monetary policy and because people are just like saving money. They're getting stimulus checks. They get the stimulus checks. They put it into the stock market. I think the the only way GDP ever grows again above two and a half, three percent is if the War. country, no, if the people who have been left out get involved because all of the asset values that have inflated or or, or been, you know, that are going higher that money's not getting spent. If yeah. you're if you're a billionaire, how much money? You, there's a limit to how much money you could spend. So the rest of the country that is now being paid eighteen dollars an hour, they can get the economy going. Yep. Well, so listen to these. I mean, to me, this sounds crazy. Federal Reserve reported Thursday, the net worth of U.S. households was one hundred thirty-four trillion in the second quarter, up from one twenty-eight point four trillion in the first quarter. That figure stood at one hundred ten trillion in the fourth <laughs> quarter of twenty nineteen. So percentage-wise, it's like a very big jump, and the total household picture no. seems to be way better. Home values. Stock, I was going to say stock market real estate. Yeah. yeah. Home values are Home up hundred yeah. are up yeah. 20%. Stock market's up 100%. And I would put money on that the house values affects more people than the stock market. Mm. Ha- yeah. Well, affects people's behavior or affects no, like people's they're, numbers? They're balance sheets, both because more people are likely to just like go out and buy the houses. It's going to ramp up how much they're worth, and it's the cheapest form of leverage. Like – 
Leverage in your house is way cheaper than leverage in the stock market. Okay, but cash is up too. A what humongous mean? amount. Oh, oh, oh. Take yeah. stocks out, take real estate out. The amount of cash and cash equivalents on household balance sheets rose to $16.5 trillion in Q2. That's up from $12.7 trillion pre-pandemic. That's stimulus, right? That's, is that a 40% uh, increase? I'm not great that, at math. That's scary to me because like, if you're just holding money in cash, what are, you're, you're losing about 1.8% a year to inflation, right? Yes. Like it, That's just a straight 1.7% loss, almost certain. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's scary. So, so what do you do with – if you have 40% more cash now than you had in 2019, what do you do with it besides – play with tokens on the internet. Like what else can you really do? How much can you actually spend? Like if you're not going to change your house, I guess, which would be the biggest purchase you would make. And we know a lot of people did. That to me is the most interesting thing. And that I think goes a long way to explaining why there's no yield for anybody. Yeah. Because there's just too much need and desire for- too much money. Too much money chasing too few returns. So how does this this reverse? It's not going to be permanent. We're not going to sit with cash balances that large in, in households forever. So what's the thing that changes that? No clue, right? No idea. What do you think? There, what, there was a story recently about Zillow. They sold $450 million in bonds for stocks that they bought but haven't sold yet. I'm sorry, houses that they bought but haven't sold yet. It was way, 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 way oversubscribed. They're selling another $700 million worth of debt. People are so starved for yield. So I think the interest rates are not just low because of the Fed keeping overnight rates where they are, uh, although that obviously has a huge effect on it. But there is so much money. Maybe that's coming from the Fed. There's so much money that the overwhelming demand, there's not enough bonds. There's too much money, not enough bonds. Wait, Zillow is selling bonds to back the value of all that real estate they bought, because now they're just buying your house at the click of a button, right? Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah, I buying they're, is uh, they're, they're flipping now. They're flipping. Now. All right. So in August, Zillow raised four hundred fifty million dollars from a bond backed by homes it's bought but not yet sold. It's like a securitized loan. The offering, led by Credit Suisse, was modeled on the loan facilities that car dealerships use to finance floor models. <laughs> I, we spoke about this last week. I think Coinbase, yeah. Coinbase raised money at four percent for ten years. Yeah. Right, if you can't raise money now, as a corporate, what did Royal Caribbean uh, raise money at? Eleven. Yeah, if you if you can't raise money now, there's something meant like seriously wrong with so you. So this, I, I I think this is going to be a story that stays with us for the rest of our investing careers. I you mean, that's, you uh, can't forever pick. is a long time, but is it going to unravel though? Like, how does like I know how 2008 unraveled, right? There was leverage in the house market, like that came down. The defaults in 2008 were were the thing that caused the unraveling. All of a sudden. People thought they had like a certain yield coming to them on a certain instrument that was valued somewhere. Yep. And eventually the values were all lies. And then when people actually started to sell, you saw what the real values were, yep. which kicked off a panic. But so where, where are the cockroaches today? And there, yeah. there, there are no defaults. I, I know that could change. I know that could change. Like we can't have a recession. That could all, all unwind. But right now, even below investment grade companies aren't, there's no defaults anywhere. Like companies' balance sheets are as healthy as the consumer. Yeah. Something will end this, right? Something always comes along and knocks the economy into a recession. Maybe stocks fall and take us into a recession, as Josh was talking about last week. But I don't know where it's coming from. It would be ironic if the full reopening of the economy caused people to drain money from their stock market accounts to use, like to actually do things in the real world, and that that was the thing that triggered 
a lot more selling. Like I think the stock market's going to be the cause of the next recession, but there's there's two key numbers for me on the flip side of it in terms of um, cash interest rates, one percent and two percent. Okay. So cash, like even if people hold cash, cash accounts aren't really interesting at one percent. But like people are like fine, I'll do that. You know, whatever. At two percent, if once if we see cash interest rates at two percent, people are going to flee the stock market because they're like. Two percent, yeah, maybe two percent. Two, is, fine. two I is, just don't want more. Two is the walk away number for a lot of investors. That's it's inflation, yeah, right. Like if I can maintain the real value of it, I don't need gains. You go from two percent risk free to what? Like I, I thought I saw somebody it's yesterday saying right like now. high yield is forty five. No, but what's like oh, U.S. equity uh, expected I, returns in U.S. equity? Four to six, exactly. So you get four to six with what, like twelve to fifteen percent vol, or two percent with zero percent with vol? no vol. So I, I took, I, I had money at Marcus at two percent. I was very happy to have money at Marcus. Yeah. It's all gone. I'm not leaving my money at exactly. 30, 30 basis points. So the Fed is. thing is right. The Fed's the thing that like could decouple it quickly. Wait, why aren't we talking about the fact that Mike fell for a teaser loan rate? Like we, like more should be said it about was, the subject. No, it was following. It was following Fed funds rates. They were at two percent. Okay, yeah. so you were getting two percent from Marcus. Jerome, no, Jerome Powell. He rugged me. <laughs> he did rug you. you. So you transferred money in and then that just slowly got chopped or one day they just chopped it? No, it happens in increments, but it just kept happening. And also I was yeah. like, I was like, I can't leave. You're forcing my hand. Thank you, Jerome. Yeah, but I they have, have such to, a cool user interface. I, yeah, I have, to take, uh, I have to take risk now. I'm not leaving my money earning yeah, a negative return. Exactly, exactly. So that's like, that's the Fed's job. It works good on the way down. This is where Goldman screwed up. They should have been on the phone with him before he even could have that realization. So, so Dan, you're right. Like, I, I don't, where is the level? There is a level where where at some point people are like, all right, I'm back. Yep. But I think that there might be so much demand for paper that that might put a cap on how rates, can, how high rates can get. Could well, you imagine what would be going on in, in the economy for rates to get back to 2%? It'd have yeah. to be the mother of all inflation scares and the Fed like emergency raising rates. But I feel like rates have to, rates. rates are decoupled from the economy. I don't think the economy drives rates anymore. But like how how would a bank be offering a 2% rate unless like overnight all of a sudden Fed funds rates had to move up for some reason? Well, they would only offer it if it was commensurate with Fed funds rates because they would then loan out at yeah. 5%, which they're not doing. So uh, – Yeah. I, listen, it's hard to picture always – what would send this into reverse? Well, how about this? But when you hear $142 trillion in net worth in U.S. households, it's hard to imagine the economy not at least being decent. So that's what I was going to say. For, I, I think, a, a long while. time. It's yeah. hard, and it's hard to get too, too, too bearish on the stock market if the economy is really doing well. Can stocks fall 20% when the economy is doing fine? Of course they can. It has. Uh, yeah, of course. Of course it Many can. Many times. They can do, you know, there's no there's no laws governing that, but can they fall 30, 40%? Probably not with a really strong economy unless stocks falling drags the economy down lower. Or they could fall, but very quickly V and be right, <laughs> yeah. and be right back. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about what's going on on the Betterment platform because you guys have, do you have 700,000 client accounts? Yep. Okay. I was reading about you this week. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, 700,000 client accounts is an amazing sample. Isn't that crazy? To figure out a lot about investors' attitudes toward almost everything under the sun, just watching what they're doing. So I asked you, like, what's some of the stuff that you're seeing on the platform, given that we have volatility back in the market? VIX hit 20-something this week. What like what are you seeing going on? Well, before Dan answers, let me just sorry to cut you off or cut cut in. I I am very bullish on Betterment customers. I am very bullish on behavioral uh, integrity, not integrity, um, on behavior. Go well, ahead. you know his answer to my question is know. not going to be 
our clients are acting like Muppets, obviously. No, I but, expect him to tell us the data. What's okay. the data say? So I'm gonna I'm gonna probably have to fire myself because I have no no like substantial work left to do in this area. Okay. So <laughs> Your work we had done. we had yeah like we had March April 2020 right, um, and that was like that was that was the setup for the behavioral mistake right scary. Global pandemic, like real reasons to freak lives out personally, risk. lives at risk. Yeah, you Business know, like what's what? And um, I can't say that we per- sailed through it perfectly, but like we would get an A, if not an A plus. Um, clients either just straight up stayed the course, or they actually deposited through that. Um, in the case where people needed to take money out of emergency funds, we saw a lot of outflows specifically for that, and then we saw inflows when stimulus checks and everything came in for other people. How many people went to hundred percent cash? Very, very, like, very uh, so, all right, so if you take a 1,000 Betterment clients, six of them did something during, like, changed something of any form between March and April of 2020. Applause, six, applause. Six, six out of 1,000? Out of 1,000. That's basically zero. I'm not done. I mean. It's, it gets better. I'm not done. Those six people all went long. TQQQ. <laughs> Three of them um, would have decreased risk, meaning, like, lowered their allocation, or, um, you know, like went to cash in some form. They might've even kept it on the platform, but like they went to cash in some way. Two out of those like went the opposite way. They went bullish, they either deposited, they increased their risk level, whatever that. Not me, by the way. And then one out of those six took money out in some fashion because they needed it. You know, you're talking about like unexpectedly, you know, like emergency fund, blah, blah, blah. So home so run, home run. Six out of a thousand and only three out of the thousand are the ones that I need to worry about. 994 out of a thousand clients. Yeah, dude. Right. That's awesome. 994 out of a thousand clients, just Not whatever bad. they were doing. Not bad. Dude, that's amazing. Going. That's amazing. Let me just, let me just ask one and thing. And many of these people are on autopilot contributing Yep. because our clients on your platform are, are like set up that way. Yep. So, so, I mean, that's that. So Michael and Ben have this argument every other week on animal spirits. Yep. Still riveting. I don't mean to say it like it's redundant, but are investors getting smarter? And where, where do you fall on that? I think Ben is saying no. You're saying yes. No, it's the opposite. Ben is saying yes, they are. And you're like, for now. I just think that, and I want to give well, people- Well, Dan is here to say you're wrong. I want to give people the benefit <laughs> of the doubt. My bull, No, but I'm bullish. I, I'm, betterment, I'm, be, I'm bullish on betterment customers. I just think that we would have seen different behavior had we not V-bottomed, had we made a lower high, had this lasted more than 30 days. I agree with you. Like the recovery, it was it was paralyzing. It happened too fast to react. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the recovery. Yep. So if this lasted six or seven months, I think it would have we would have seen a little bit different behavior. But I still think, by and large, it would have been a magnificent behavior. Can I say one yeah. thing to you, though? We didn't really V fully. We had a huge bounce off the bottom from March 23rd into April. But I don't think we got back to those levels until like October, November. Yeah, Am I no, right or wrong? About I think it, I think it was like August. But listen, I, I don't want to okay. split. I don't want to split hairs. Okay. Um, because even on the way up, I was bearish on the way up. Like I definitely, even when we were twenty percent off the lows, yeah, I was yeah, yeah. like, I remember you started the newsletter and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I bought gold bars. Um, but I think that it happened so quick. The fall and the recovery happened so quick. It did. But to be clear, that's like that's the dangerous scenario. So here's the thing that's hard about like the whole like market timing thing. If you sell out and then things are crappy for a while, actually you made a good decision. It's when you like sell out and then things rally back. That's when you like, you, you crystallized your losses and you missed out on the gains. Mm -hmm. So that's where you like, 
that's why I was saying, like, actually, this was the worst case scenario, and we sailed through it. In a scenario where it's like people freaked out and then it was crappy for two years. They feel, it's like, they feel vindicated. Yeah, fair enough. So let me ask you this, because I've I've always thought, and maybe you have some data to or, or anecdotes to confirm this, that if somebody sells on the way down, let's say they sell at $10, whatever the security is, they are not buying back in at a lumber higher than where they sold. It's hard. Like that is really hard. So they it, sell out of 10, it goes to nine and then 11. So if, the, if it goes to nine, their worst fears are confirmed. Right? Yeah, and if yeah, it goes yeah. to 11, they're like, well, I'm doing something else And if now. they go to 11, they're like, yeah, yeah. but I sold it at 10. I'm, I can't buy it back at 11. Yeah. Because so, they're, they're uh, anchoring. They're, they're anchored. I think like that yeah. is one of the hardest things is to put, is to buy back higher than where you sold. So I want to like, I think you touched on something which is really important, which is are investors getting smarter or whatever? And the answer is no. They're like, they're, they're humans, right? Like, so that's my, that's my, that's my, that's my, that's oh, my, it was, what? and it was never about intelligence. It's about emotion. Well, hold on. It's about churches and casinos. Okay. What we have done in financial services is that now there are a lot more churches that you can go to with your family on Sunday. Like Betterment? Like Betterment. Like you guys. Like Van- Like Vanguard was like, in my mind, like the first church, right? It's like yeah. boring is sexy. Oh, dude. Low so cost it's is a cool. Cath- it's a cathedral you know? to rational, emotionless investing. So there's still casinos right. out there. There's still stuff that – and the same person will go to church on Sunday and they were like at the casino on Saturday night. They'll have their brokerage, their Robin Hood accounts, that. whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. But like – at the same time, the church is there. They're going in. They're, they're doing like the smart, responsible thing. They're like, yeah, retirement's important. My kid's college education is important. I got a line on those. And I'm going to have some fun on the side too. But like the okay. churches are there. And so like, I love that's that why anal- they seem smart. I that's love good. that. I love that analogy. Now, what about the church on the strip in Vegas that marries drunk people at two in the morning? There are some bingo games in some <laughs> churches that just like the stakes are serious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. So by that way of thinking, when we talk about investors monolithically – as though investors are doing this, investors are doing that, you could have a very rational, calm investor who also basically says, with 10% of my money, I'm on Robinhood. With 90% of my money, I'm in my 401k and I'm at Fidelity. And that's like, how how does a behavioral person look at that? It's like Bogle on the streets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how to finish that. in the sheets. (laughs) Bogle on on the streets, Batnick in the the sheets. I'm going to vomit. That's like my whole thing. Dude, this man is spinning and is great. Let's not even let's let's not even. Uh how does a behavioral person then look at that? Because I feel like a lot of the models that people create or a lot of people's world worldview is shaped on this idea that everybody is one or the other. Mm, or yeah. on that spectrum, but more toward one side. Yep. What if there's this duplic this this uh what am I trying to say? What if there's like multiple versions of the same person? Yeah. You can't really model that. Yeah, no, we're all like we're different people in different contexts. Yes. You know, like and one of the things and I, like this is the the thing we we now can build the tools that we use to invest. We can build the things that we're like how should I think about this and like am I building a thing that reflects the best me? The me that I want to be. So it's like, is it goal based? You know, does it look at a portfolio rather than an individual security level? Um, and I think that's the breakdown is like people people are going to want to go to the casinos for the excitement and everything. But they also know that like actually most of their lives are going to be done on the like more serious, more boring, but like also like they're happy that it's taken care of. Is, well, is there somebody inside of Betterment at all the board meetings and stuff who's like, you know, we could kind of like build a little casino on the side. Always. Yeah. Right. Because it's great for cl- attracting new users and let them blow themselves up and be like, hey, you look like you can use some help, fella. Mm-hmm. Like with an email blast, like you're down 25% a month trading options for free. Yep. 
This is but maybe we could pull the rest of that cash over before you blow the rest of that shit up. Like, wouldn't that be let me, a let great me, CAC, a customer acquisition here's, project? Here's what I want to do. I want to build like the the good Robin Hood. Like, it exists. It's called public. I mean, no, that's just like chit while watching your friends, right? You know public? I don't I've seen TikTok ads. They're trying to be like the angelic Robin Hood. They don't they don't do payment for order. Free flow. trading, but no list of hot stocks, How no prompts to get they don't, well, that's, they the, don't. that's the problem. They don't. They don't. Literally so, their business model is tips. So I want I want a brokerage that I'm gonna set up, which is gonna be like I only make money when you sell at a gain. That's how mm. I make I, t- I take like I don't know like Sounds like, like a hedge fund to me, Dan. Bips, 25 dips when you make a game. <laughs> so I'm going to want people to like hold for longer because like stuff goes up on average. Yeah, what's the carry? I don't even know. 30%? I, yeah, I was going to say like- How much of their game do you half, want? Half of, a, half of, what would it be? 50 bips of any game. People don't know how much, when you say my work's done here, mm. uh, people listening to this, most people listening to this have no idea like- how much work you've actually done well, let me set on the user interface side. So let me yeah, help please. Let me help with an alley oop. So one of the reasons why I think investor behavior has gotten better, even though we haven't gotten more emotionally intelligent, is because of some of the work that people like you have done. It's too kind. No, it's the truth. No, it's true. So if people went to sell, how many thousands of Betterment customers probably went to go from 80-20 down to 70-30? And you said, well, actually. If you do that, you're going to pay fourteen thousand dollars in capital gains. Are you sure you want to do this? And, Dan, and to be clear, Dan is not calling the person up, old school, <laughs> like uh, Wolf of Wall Street, and talking them out of trades. This is built into your technology. So the technology, the nudges have made us better investors. Maybe, yep. maybe I'll buy that. I actually, I definitely buy that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, and to now be fair, now compliment yourself. Tell everybody the, what you've done. And no, what else? No this, red green on the screen. Yep. The, the IRS helps with it because, like, it's not like we're charging you for selling out right now. It's the IRS. They want those cap gains. Okay, so so let's explain this. So I'm a, I'm a, I have my money at Betterment. The COVID shit hits. Tom Hanks. Oh, my yep. God. I go to sell. Something pops up on my screen yep. when I'm in your site yep. and says, are you sure you want to do this? You'll be generating a capital gain of $7,000. And then give us the stat. How many people see that prompt and say, eh, f- it, I'm not going to sell? So you, if you do exactly that, so one of the key things that was important to us is like market timing is different than like I need the money to go pay rent. So first thing, we're going to split it out by withdrawals versus allocation changes. So if you go in to do that allocation change, that, right. oh, shit, I'm going from 100. Am I allowed to curse yes. on this show? Okay. If I'm going from 100% stocks to percent We're not really going to gonna use any of this stocks. anyway, so don't worry about it. Go ahead. <laughs> this is the rehearsal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you go from 100% stocks to 0% stocks. If you do that and you see a tax burden of, I think it's like more than 50 bucks, um, the odds that you're going to go through with that is like 6%. Oh my 94% God. of the time, Dude. people are like, no, thank you. I mean, now, this is the whole, this is like, this is it. This two, is holy grail shit. Two, two more things happen, right? So part of that's like, I try and um, encourage us to flash up the fact that it's short-term, right? Like, I just want you to be long-term. Just don't, don't pay short-term cap gains. So in that case, it's still like, you know, like 6%. You, you change it over to say this is all long-term and it goes up a little bit. I think it goes up to like 90%, 85% don't go through with it. So like 6 to 15% go through with it. Um, people will keep playing this game where instead of going from 100% stocks to 0% stocks, they go from 100 to 50. And they're like, crap, now it's like two grand. That's better. Okay. They go from 100 and they say like, what about 80? What You're about- You're showing you know, them 
you're showing them the results based on that toggle. We can ca- we can calculate it ahead of time. This is a so preview. Much, but that's so much better. I'm f- I'm fine with somebody going from 80 20. Oh, yes. I, I, if I overestimate my, my risk tolerance, Big deal. I go from yeah. 80 20 to 60 40. You could that's fine. Yep. But to go from 80 20 to a zero, zero 100, that's yep. not good. So the I've had a, a long-standing beef with behavioral finance because quoting Kahneman doesn't help anybody. Nope. Right? It's always just like, oh, you're 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 dumb. Not you're dumb, but you you can't behave. You can't control yourself. Whatever, we all know that. You're an ape, you're a lizard. We we know that. But having solutions is like, that's what I'm there for. You're doing more, right, you're doing more than theory. You're actually putting the nudges into the system and then calculating how much aggravation and and pain you're saving people when they're about to act and you're intervening. Now, what's funny is- I just want to be absolutely clear. Like, I am not paying them. They're just saying this of their own free will. (laughs) No, but I want people- There's no no fans. First of all, we're we're clients of, uh, I guess we're clients or partners. I don't know what the the legal is, but we have Liftoff, which we built, and it's on the Betterment platform. So you're doing that for our Liftoff clients too. And for my kids. And right. I have my own money on it. I just think it's- Honestly, I'm not saying like they should hand you an economics prize. However- they are giving prizes out to people who are writing f-ing books about this yeah. and you're literally like building it. And I don't feel like you've gotten your flowers to the extent that you should. So hopefully a lot of very influential people listen to this podcast. Was, um, hopefully that'll change. One of the people who are- And you're not alone. There's a whole there's every, there's there's tons a of whole troop of people working on this like yeah. you are. It's one of the nice things is that internally we have like customer feedback things, you know, like uh, one of the other things we have is this investing journal. You go to do a transaction. You can write down like what, you, you know, like, sorry, I forgot my wife's birthday, you know, like yeah, got to yeah, take yeah. the money out, blah, blah, blah. And every once in a while, somebody will send me just like one that they wrote in where it's like, oh, thank God I saved up enough, you know, like. I'm taking my wife out for a 10 year anniversary, whatever right. it is. So people send me these and like, I am like Scrooge McDuck in the gold coins when you get those things. Cause yes. you're like, we did it. Yeah. Like we built all something the that stuff we said we so were going to do. We yeah. did. So now what's funny is you're popping that thing up. Like, are you sure you want to sell? When you go through like that thing on Robin hood, it's like, I might want to change my allocation. They're like, have you seen crypto? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can't wait for you to make that sale. They Next have one. plans for you. They're <laughs> like, why sell it when you could short it. Yeah. Like, here's how much you could potentially make if right. So I, I just think I think it's nice that there's somebody working on high tech stuff for the market and not pretending that they're about democratization of finance, but like literally trying to make the end investors results better. What's nice about it, too? I, I have no idea if people work at Robinhood, but like I love being able to go and like, yeah, you should use this. Like it's good. It's safe. It's responsible. It looks nice. Yeah. No, just, just listen. Robinhood's in a different business than you. That's the church versus casino. Yeah. thing writ large. Um, let's let's talk about bubbles because I feel like there's once again uh, just a new like outcropping of people screaming bubble. It makes sense to me. There is a lot of bubbleish behavior. I find that not all of it is in the stock market this time, which we can get into. Um, this is Jeremy Grantham, who Michael is this his fifteenth bubble call in twelve years? Would you say? Uh, 2010, half cash, wait for stocks to fall. I mean, he's been consistent, so. Yeah. All right. Those are some headlines. What do we got? Those oh, some, this uh, is great. 20, uh, 2011, Grantham sees most global equities as ranging from unattractive to very unattractive, valuing the S&P at no more than 950. Where is it now? 4,000 something. Call. Uh, Grantham, 2012, warns 2013 will be a dangerous year. Uh, 2013 was one of the best years for the stock market in history. 2014, big stock bubble and badly in 2016. Remarkable. He could see two years ahead. Actually, we rallied in 2016. 2015, GMO found that Grantham says markets ripe for major decline. 
So it's a martingale strategy. Yeah. What you're doing double is down. you double down, double down, double down. One day there will be a crash. This will end. And he's been calling for it since 2010. So we nailed it. I, I understand that the media wants to hear from him because he's one of the smartest people. And he's an amazing interview. And I've listened to like probably 15 podcasts of people interviewing him. And you really get a sense of like how thoughtful he is. It just unfortunately has not been applicable to anything for any investor Do you in guys, a long time. A fair thing I think to say here, and I've heard a number of uh, people say this one way or the other. Like um, I think Adam Butler said it recently. He was like, at some point they changed the rules of the game. And yeah. either, I don't know if that's like, you know, it was like TARP or like monetary policy, but like, is it fair? Is it fair to say that like they changed the rules of the 100%. game? One hundred percent, they did. So throw your mo- so stop so stop using the same playbook so from before this? they did that. You, you've seen the chart of growth stocks versus cyclical stocks over time, and it like they went like this. So the the, the structure of the market is so 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 different today. The entire playbook is different, and I forget who says this, but Ben likes this quote. It might be. Uh, uh, ben Thompson, that there are people who are experts at an earlier version of the world, mm-hmm. and that makes them so much worse because they know how the game used to play, but the rules are different. So Grantham is very, very thoughtful. He said this to Barron's in 2015, 2016, maybe. So he's very self-aware. He said, I consider myself a bubble historian and one who's eager to see one form and break. Uh, I have come to believe, however, very reluctantly that we bubble historians uh, have been a bit brainwashed by our own exposure in the last 30 years to four of the biggest bubbles ever, Japanese, tech, whatever, whatever. So he goes, for bubble historians eager to see pins used on bubbles and spoiled by the prevalence of bubbles in the last 30 years, it is tempting to see them too often. So kudos to him, but he said that five years ago, and he's still doing it. This is what he said this week. Grantham said U.S. stocks are in a magnificent bubble, which is crazier than 1929. Who talks like that? Uh, but he said the market is like a vampire that is hard to kill and will just shrug off bad news. He said that's, that's sour grapes. He said meme stocks, SPACs, and cryptocurrencies were a sign of market craziness. Okay, I agree, but those have all we've seen blow offs in all of those things. But Apple, like the greatest company of all time, is trading like 23, 24 times earnings. Um, Are that, that, there, there's bubbles all over the place, but it's but the, the, the overall stock no, market. No, wait, it's better than that. Stop, wait, 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 wait. And then he goes, I swear this is true. This has been, he said this, who did he say this to? Who cares? Uh, CNBC. This has been crazier by a substantial margin than 1929 and 2000, in my opinion. Grantham said he thinks the S&P 500 is likely to decline 10%. (laughs) Shut up. 10%. So just for context, 1929, the sell-off was 90%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, 2000, the NASDAQ went down 95%. Did it? Was it that big in It was that, I think so. It was 89, 90, 95, Tech something like that. Tech stocks fell 80%. Tech but, stocks. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Berkshire Na- Hathaway didn't. The Nasdaq yeah. fell 80%. Yeah. Like, like, uh, like the dot-coms did. But just this idea of evoking 29, 2000, he missed 87 in here. I find that to be, like, disrespectful to <laughs> the regular audience who has no clue the context that Michael just shared, doesn't know who this guy is, but just says... Wow, that's the smartest guy I've ever heard speak in my life. How about and he's saying it's 1929. Earnings yep. are at an all-time high, so that there's there's that. Now, could we be trading and expecting multiple to earnings? Sure, but like the Facebooks of the world 
these sort of companies change the rules of the game. If you could get to a billion dollars in revenue, and I'm making that number up with 11 employees, mm -hmm. like that is fundamentally different. And that is the structure of the market that we're in right now, where it's it's 25% of the market are these magnificent companies that have no precedent precedence in history. Then the 1970s, 1980s, 19, you know, there was good companies, yep. but not like this. They that were just money, like or, money or, minting or, machines. Or, or are could, we wrong? Like, are we overstating how great today's companies are, and are we understating no. the possibility of mean reversion to earlier earnings valuations? No, because nobody's saying that. Not, like, we, I never say that markets can't mean revert to – but he's been saying the, his bearish thesis, and I hate to be so uh, – sound disrespectful because I do respect the man. Dude, but this guy's going to kill you. His, his bearish thesis has been like uh, operating margins mean reverting. Yeah. He said that was like one of the most powerful uh, metrics of, of mean reversion in the market was operating margins. And they haven't because the makeup of the stock Apple's market- margins are expanding. The makeup of these, of these companies is so different than what he grew up with. What do you do? What do you do? Like, what do you do with this? I know you don't pay attention to it, but like, what do you do with this conundrum that based on everything we knew up until 1990, things worked a certain way. And for the last 30 years, they just haven't. And you have so many people waiting for them to go back to that old paradigm. So, um, I mean, that's progress, right? Yes. That's hot. Like, you. do you remember what infant mortality was 100 years ago? Yeah. 100 years ago. Yeah, are we going to mean revert back to that? Like, I hope not, right? right? Like, that's progress. So companies are better at being companies now. And yeah. how about companies being able to lose hundreds of millions of dollars a year with unlimited funding until they scaled up to a billion users? That's a big part of our market right now, yeah. whether it's Uber or Tesla. Well, I that's mean, the part where the rules have changed. So, Because the Fed... I'm not pointing fingers because we have cheap money that has fundamentally changed the playing field. Now it doesn't have to be this way forever, but to not acknowledge that the market today is different than the market was 30, 40 years yes, ago. Yeah. It's like, come on, what are we doing here? Yeah. You have to evolve a little bit. Yep. The fed, the fed inflation expectations purely on its own. Like the fed actually is good as it's, its job. It seems like, like we haven't seen 8% plus inflation. Like that's different. Um, the other thing that I don't know about, although I'm curious about it is the whole like public versus private market thing. Right, like the, well, it's blurry now. Yeah, it's the same thing. Like, I mean, like we're one of them now. Like, what's what a billion dollar company? That's Everyone's a unicorn. Public? Yeah. Okay. So they termed so they termed unicorn what four or five years ago. Uh, that was, that was just, Fortune in 2015. So that was special. Was the un unicorn cover. A billion dollar private company. Every private company. Every yeah. private company. There were, is there a billion were forty. Dollars. There were forty companies that had private market valuations north of a billion. Now there's probably a thousand. Uh, you guys raised money at a $1.3 billion valuation, which, but I mean, by the way, like, where's my soundboard? I think I lost it. Uh, that's pretty impressive. And what when when were you founded? 10 years ago? So it was founded in 2010. I joined in 2013. That's when the real, that's the real when growth the started. That's when the hockey stick started, yeah. yep. Um, the thing that's in my mind that I like is I'm very proud of uh, is that, so the last valuation when we raised, it was like 800 million. And I, I don't know how long ago it was. And I am not like actually a financial person. So please tell me if I'm doing this wrong. We raised $60 million in equity this time at a 1.3. By the way, valuation. we never got a phone call. I don't know if you meant to. I didn't get a phone call. Did you call the home phone, not the <laughs> office? Okay. Go ahead. Go on. And like, so if, if that's a, what is that? A, a $500 million valuation change with only $60 million of new money flowing in. Right. $440 million of value growth Dude. over that time like not I mean, that's pretty cool not like, nothing you you're making something you're growing it's not nothing right okay so you're 32 billion in assets and i was happy to read that 
the thing that everyone seems to be the most bullish on is the B2B business, 100%. which is us. Yep. Let me and just, just before we transition, just one, one last thing I just want to throw in here. There was 45 unicorns in 2014 when this whole thing began. 45. There's 800 today. Yeah. Well, listen, <laughs> I, I, I look at I look at the behavioral thing that we were just talking about as one of the changes of the rules of the game. How so? I wrote a post about this um, that I frequently reference because I still think it answers a lot of the the riddle about why we have V-shaped recoveries and why we have such strength in disparate sectors the when the market's bid? trending. Yeah, look, if you have the permanent bid, yeah, oh, that, that was a good one. Well, yeah. if if you think about if you think about who's managing money now and yeah. how they're doing it. They're allocating. Oh, the relentless bid. I'm sorry. The relentless bid. When the market is, when it won't be permanent. That was 2014. Yeah, dude. So if we're saying that investors are getting smarter, let's throw that out. Let's say advisors are getting strategically smarter about allocating. More effective. It's not brokers yeah. who are using volatility to trade more. It's advisors who are using volatility to take money out of treasuries and stuff it into stocks as soon as they can. Yeah. Everybody's dealing with the same puzzle. We have clients in their 60s who might live to 100. And bonds are not yielding enough but to get that's there. That's another way that the game has changed. You used to be able to do that with a 50-50 portfolio. Yep. We cannot do that. Nope. We right. can't do it. So yep. why are we still surprised that every correction is met with a V-shaped bottom yep. when we know financial advisors and sites like Betterment and firms like Vanguard, yep. they are going to V that bottom. Yep. Every chance they get because they just have that much more money to put. By the way, stocks. in 2014, when you wrote this, like this was de this was a, a brilliant piece, but this was definitely there was definitely people like yeah. Sounds toppy. Yeah, I, hope they, yeah. I hope they faded me. How'd, how'd, how'd life work out? Uh, yeah, I remember getting a lot of people were angry about that. Oh, so you're saying the market will never go down? I should have said yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I would have been right. Uh, but but you're 100% right. Um, we, should, we should keep moving. I think we've we've done enough on, uh, on Grantham. Shout out to Grantham, by the way. <laughs> uh, it's not easy. Uh, and, and I don't think that my, my um, predictions about the future will be any better. We have this paper about when do investors freak out. You want to set this up, Mike? Yeah. So, the, uh, admittedly, I apologize. I didn't do my homework. I didn't read this, but I'll just I'll just pull a quote. Just make it up. And not because we we already know this. Investors who are male or above the age of forty five or married and or have bald. more dependents or who self identify as having excellent this is the this is the coup de grace yeah. or who self identify as having excellent investment experience or knowledge tend to freak out with greater frequency because of course they do. No. So, so I am an expert. I know what happens next. Let me panic before everybody else does, and then I'll get back in. Dude, this if I didn't see this abstract and you just asked me, describe the demographic of the person most likely to freak out about uh, a falling stock market. That is exactly what I would have said. I would have yep. said 45, 50 years old, married, dependents. And somebody who f***ing thinks they know what they're talking about. Because we that we, is the person we talk to these people. Yeah, yeah. Yep. and and that's me. By the way, I'm 44. I'm not so far away. Yep. But I totally understand it because that's the person with the most to lose. Yes, absolutely. Why wouldn't that person? It almost would be inhuman. Yep. So we're not making fun of these people. No. If you have that much on the line and that many people relying on you, yep. yes. This is you I, will panic. It's so like when you're whatever twenty five to thirty, right? And you're still building up your asset base. Every dip is a buying up. You're like, I yeah, notice. you know, like your 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 bravery is not like really meaningful because you're like, well, I got thirty years. But yeah, also, you're easy. working. Yeah, you're at your job, or on the weekends you're drunk and getting laid. You're not like and sitting with the phone in front of you every second well, on on the stock. App. If you do right, you say you got ten grand and it goes down thirty percent. You lost three grand. Right, big right? deal. 
Now, if you're like pre-retiree and you've got a hundred and that's supposed to last you through the next 30 years and you see that go, that that will keep you up. Because you don't know how low it's going to go. China wants investors to sweat out this Evergrande thing. I thought this was interesting from a behavioral point of view. Um, I thought this was about Ariana Grande. I got it. I have no idea. It's like, no, but you what, must know about Evergrande. It's something about like Chinese <laughs> homeownership or something. Yes. No. Uh, yeah. They, you ma- he makes Ben look like Paris Hilton. I know. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Right. Ben is super plugged in compared to you. <laughs> so uh, this is the biggest. Ben, ben asked Michael, <laughs> Ben and Michael run a, a financial podcast. Ben asked Michael how to use Apple pay on the show. <laughs> no, he described like, what Apple pay is. And he's like, this should exist. I was like, it does. It's called Apple pay. <laughs> Right. Uh, so China has this Evergrande financial crisis, whatever, tempest in a teapot. It's the second largest property company. And, and they can't pay their debt. They can't pay their, can't debt. Pay their, it's kind their of a, debt. It's kind of a big story. So what Beijing wants to do is like kind of contain this explosion, but in a very slow, controlled way to introduce risk and fear into their investing populace so that they don't have an even bigger bubble later. How did... I'm telling you, they should get jobs at Betterment. These guys, they, they, they have figured, they have figured this out. So you know what's you know what's ironic about this is that this has been the biggest story in Western democracy probably over the last, at least financial yep. over the last week or two. And it's probably never. And the, so this is a quote from the New York Times: "Censorship of the press and social media makes it hard for the general public to know about the extent of Evergrande's troubles and for Evergrande home buyers and investors to organize." Imagine people in China don't even know what's happening. They don't have Twitter. They don't have finance Twitter. Yeah, like they literally don't. And the the, the newspapers are all are all state-owned enterprises, so they, they might, are they even reporting on this? Probably not. I'm, they're saying it's a good thing. Uh, this is for the New York Times. Quote: The Chinese government doesn't want to move in yet, like to rescue everybody, because it hopes Evergrande's struggles will show other Chinese companies that they need to be disciplined in their finances. <laughs> Say people with knowledge of the deliberations. Are they going to make it very public? Like when this, who goes? Do you guys during 2008? It was. Bear, Bear Stearns? Yes. Uh, Lehman? Like, they, they had to let a couple of big ones die to they, make that point. They let Bear Stearns die. Everybody else got religion. Stan O'Neill sold Merrill Lynch. Yeah. Um, Washington Mutual. Like, the ones that didn't do Chapter 11 quickly found a dance partner. Yeah. The only, the only guy who thought he was too smart for everyone Dick in the Fold. room was Dick Fold. Yeah. Yeah. He played poker and lost. Like, they called his bluff. They basically yeah. said... There's no, there's nothing for you. He's like, yeah, all right. Like he, he kept trying to plug the the gap, thinking either the economy would turn around, or they would come to him with this amazing rescue package. Yep. And it didn't happen. And they probably said to him behind the scenes more than once. Yeah. I'm sure I read this somewhere, or I'm, or I'm making it up either way. But they probably were like, no, seriously, last chance. Yeah. Uh, he was like, lol. He was like, lol is the second biggest bankrupt bankruptcy in history, or the largest bankruptcy in history. Uh, anyway, do you think this is going to work? Do you think the Chinese investing public or the people that run these financial companies are going to get some religion watching this Evergrande thing as a slow bleed or not really? You know, you know, it's one of those like, uh, who's the die dude? There's the, like the known knowns, the known unknowns, the unknowns. Uh, um, Rumsfeld. Rumsfeld. Like, I know I don't understand China. I have no idea. Right. Like, I just From a behavioral perspective. Do you think do you think this kind of thing will introduce the right lesson to everybody else in the game, or it doesn't work that way? I don't. Does China really work that? I don't think they're big on sort of like individualism and like personal no, financial really. responsibility. They not just really. that's not the way they think about they're it. They're like kind of communist in their ways. A little bit. Oh, they're they're slightly authoritarian, uh, but it looks like they don't want to just put an end to this thing either. So yeah, the government is still going to provide a guarantee for much of Evergrande's activities, but the investors are going to have to sweat. 
Uh, I guess if nobody knows that there are problems, they're not really sweating that much. Uh, what are we doing next? Where are we going? Some news in our industry? Fractional shares. Why? All right. So Fidelity is going to open advisor access to fractional shares. Does this matter? No. Aside from what, it's what, a what's, podcast, what's, what's, what's so, so you got to actually answer. What's the Berkshire thing? Like Berkshire A is the like, I don't know. Is it like $1,300 a share now? All right, so no. cool. It's like 300000 more. Yeah. Berkshire B is is a tenth. There you go. So maybe it, it works for those things. But I mean, I don't know. It's good for it's good for portfolio. If you're doing, actually, you know, maybe this is it. This is like a combo direct indexing type play, right? Yes. You know, because like, it, like, I don't like most stocks trade between 30 and 120 bucks. So fractional shares isn't really doing that much in the big scheme of things, unless you're coming in with a hundred thousand dollar portfolio and now you can slice and dice the S&P 500 and whatever you want and not even worry about it. Right. You can buy 400 stocks with a hundred thousand and not sit with a calculator. Yep. Okay. So I, I agree with you. They have a pilot program that's allowing them to do fractional shares, uh, six advisory firms. We are not one of them. Um, but it does look like this is a predecessor to maybe them having their own custom indexing platform. I mean, that's that looks. I don't think they're trying to go further down market with just being able to put in thirty bucks towards two shares. So okay. So, so Schwab announced this uh, yesterday, the day before. They are piloting a direct indexing program. Uh, who's this for? Advisors. Blah 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 blah. But the strategies that are going to be available, it's only taxable accounts, yeah. which makes sense. It's only U.S. equities, which I guess makes sense from an implementation standpoint um, and cost effective. But it's only the Russell 1000, the S&P 600, and an ESG type of style of investing. But this is, I mean, it's coming. This is must, like, from your perspective, this is must have for large uh, advisory firms. Yeah, not I th- yet. I think like we're going to head there and it's going to be hard to say, no, you're not, you know, it's like a, you know, like you want the whopper your way, mm-hmm. you know, like it, they're going to whopperify indices where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I want to overweight my solar and I want to be able to underweight this. Oh, and by the way, I'm bringing in 20 positions from the old advisor that have embedded tax that I would prefer to not so sell. That, that's the benefit. It's a, I mean, it's a yeah. huge benefit. But this is back to active management. I like, you I don't know. 18,000 financial but advisors so what? But creating... So what? But so what? Creating so, 50,000 different versions of an index, it's not indexed. My response to that yeah. is if you do, or let's just say that you do the S&P 500 and you want to tilt whatever you want a little, you want to exclude that, exclude this, include that, whatever. Yeah. That's kind of equivalent in my mind, at least to not going from 100% stocks down to zero in a crash. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're dialing the needle a little bit and you introduce a little bit of tracking error, oh, that's active. Who gives a shit? So what? If you're, as long as you're investing, you're fine. It is, it is like a hundred percent a different experience to start with nothing and start adding individual stocks than to start with a thousand and be like, uh, I'd like to remove five of them, please. That's such a great point. Like, like, there's two different ways to approach it. Um, John, throw this chart up. Also, how about the halo effect of if you if you build this portfolio, mm. it's yours and you're more likely to stick with it. Yep. So this is ETF AUM versus direct indexing AUM from 2015 to 2020. And I'm sure the number is much bigger by now. 30% Kager in direct indexing from 2015 to today. I don't know if that can continue forever. In fact, it can't. That's gonna it's gonna snowball to trillions of dollars. But this is this has got legs. It's only three hundred fifty billion dollars. That's that's it's, t- it's so tiny. All right, so we have to talk about our friend. Uh, we have this other chart. Oh, it's on the bottom. Evolution of direct indexing. Oh, that's the one you're looking at. The three fifty. So we have to talk about our friend Patrick O'Shaughnessy and Jim uh, and Jim both. So both, I they- suppose, oversaw the sale of the family business. We are clients of uh, O'Shaughnessy Asset Management. We're friends with uh, 
both Patrick and Jim and we're fans Come of. Come on, you got to push the button for that too. Yeah. Come on. I mean, that's like as big that's a. That's huge. Huge. How? You don't know the number. It's. I'm it's been gonna, two, three years so since it, Patrick it, started Canvas. It, it's, it's been, it's, it was 2019. I was, I was wildly bullish on Canvas when I saw it, yeah. but not wildly bullish enough because <laughs> yeah. I did not think that I did not anticipate a two year sale. Yep. Kudos to them. They need to, they need, they need to, if they're competing with Vanguard and BlackRock, yep. they need capital. So yep. they did it. They're, they're kicking ass and they're going to continue okay, to do so. So BlackRock bought a, a, a Sperio? Aperio. Aperio? Yeah. Okay, fine. Um, Morgan Stanley bought the, the parent Parametric. company of Parametric. Yeah. They bought Eaton Vance. What's on? Uh, Vanguard bought Just Invest. Yep. Vanguard bought like a technology solution. So like everybody is gearing up, and yep. the O'Shaughnessy's, the O'Shaughnessy mafia probably looked at each other and said, "Let's get some more capital yep. and let's really go at go at this business." So that's cool from their stand from 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 their standpoint, and I think for their clients, if they really commit to like continuing to invest there. They can take on these these giants because they have a huge fan base, you know, of, of their also, products. They've just got the like I don't know how to put it the the dynamism like two three years to get to the point where you're one of the leading kind yeah. of like providers. And it didn't exist. It's not it's not a matter of like arguably they helped like kick momentum. off they helped kick off the crazy. Oh, 100 percent they yeah. did. hundred percent they did. Parametric's been around for three yes. decades. So so is a period. Yeah. So the so well 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 the 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 dam bursting was commission free trading. Yeah, because when we were setting this up with them, I can't tell you how many hours and hours and hours of back and forth with, with between us and the custodians of how this is going to work. We were negotiating fees, and then all of a sudden, boom! This made this viable for everybody. Yep. So thank you, Robinhood. Yeah. Um, as I'm looking, Patrick O'Shaughnessy just uh, tweeted from a Maserati dealership. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a good omen or not. Uh, shout out to Patrick. He really, I mean, he really built this thing from from nowhere with his team. And we like all the people. So over there. we we, we went over it a little bit. What do you think of direct indexing? We're huge fans. Yeah, yeah, huge. What's the what's the coolest wealth, use case? So uh, we'll give you a few. For for one, it's tax loss harvesting, right? So that's like that's like the obvious one. Bread that's, and butter. It's the obvious use case. In March of 2020, we were harvesting the shit out of these losses, carrying them forward, uh, still tracking the index, oh, harvesting the shit out of these losses. <laughs> um, we no, actually told clients that. N- number two is, guess what? A lot of our clients have embedded gains. Yeah. Whether it's the S&P, whether it's SPY, VOO, or, or whatever, uh, IVV, whatever, whatever iteration of the S&P 500 index, or they have Apple or Microsoft or whatever it is. And instead of us putting that into a separate account, they'd yeah. be like, we're not going to bill you on this. Now we can build a portfolio around that. Not only can we do that, we can exclude similar securities that trade similarly. And we can create a glide path. If you've got $5 million in gains- You can create a glide path? We can create a glide path to get that position down over time with tax parameters. Say we want to take $50,000 in gains this year. We can adjust it on the fly. Dude, that's sick. That's we, pretty hot. Dude, yeah. we, we, we can't do that like manually. We, yeah. we, we yeah. were doing it, but it was to say that it was suboptimal. I mean, yeah. come on. So the, the, the things that we're able to do with this platform- When I saw it the first time, I came back and I was like, holy shit, I just saw the future. And I see a lot of stuff. He honestly never gets excited. I never get excited about fintech. He's like, he's the opposite. He's like, always like, yeah, whatever. And, but I remember when you came back and you dragged me back up there with you. We went to Stanford like three months later. Yeah. And I was similarly blown away. Uh, Well, it's almost, it almost now is with all these mergers and acquisitions, it's becoming self-fulfilling because BlackRock, Vanguard, Morgan Stanley, they're not going to spend all this money and then not develop this. And I feel like if they develop it, they're going to push a lot of assets into it because the, there's got to be an ROI. What what so. a crazy like cycle where, you know, like people were 
you know, trading individual stocks, huge spreads. Let's go back to like the 1970s, whatever it is. And then we're like, oh, we can create mutual funds. Oh, now we can create ETFs. Oh, computers have just undone the entire thing. Mm-hmm. And we're back to like you're trading fractions of a share. And pretty fact, soon it's going to be on a blockchain. Yo, it's, it's, not, it's not dissimilar. I just told Michael I bought a Fire Stick finally. And I'm like watching all these things unbundled now. It's the same thing I was. For, I swear for a second. I, I watch- thought you meant like a stick to start fires with like a caveman. No, no. Dan's a woodsman. Those I don't buy. I just knock those off trees. But like I'm watching the Showtime app on the fire stick. I have Showtime on my cable package. It's a great analogy. It's the same thing. We're delivering the same portfolio experience in a better chassis. That's all we're doing. Now, the the other aspect to this though that I find interesting is that you think about some of these companies that are coming from out of nowhere into like technology relevance like okay. no offense to uh, Franklin Templeton, their avatar is like literally black and white picture of Ben Franklin. Yeah. Now they're gonna have to put him in a Supreme sweatshirt, <laughs> or they're gonna have to put him in sunglasses or something. It's like it's like have they Pucci on NFT the Simpsons. For him yet? Yeah, they're gonna have to mint him as an NFT. But so now they're gonna be a player in this space, and I think Morgan Stanley likes to have that image of being tech centric. So. A lot of what's going on here is not just about product, but about image. In my nothing wrong with that, by the way. But you're going to this new generation, they do want things custom tailored to them. And even if the ETF is fine, it may not be fine for a wealth manager at Morgan Stanley who's trying to close a prospect and he's like, I custom tailored this portfolio. And you know what? You. These are this is a low margin business for a lot of these big companies. So I don't know how. It's, a, it's a, it, listen, who cares? BlackRock doesn't care about margins. Like if they're, they're, they have trillions of dollars, but this is in terms of like for, for the customer, it's not like you're paying up for these products. No. Yeah. Like they're equivalent roughly to ETFs yeah. in, in many cases. Yeah. It's not, it's not an upsell. It's not, oh, you should pay us extra for, uh, for uh, custom indexing. It's like, hey, we're giving you the beta, but we're unbundling it from the do, fund. Do, do ETFs, this is so, such a ridiculous question. Do ETFs exist in a hundred years? No. Does, 100 does, years? No. Does anything exist? Yeah, I know. Yeah, question. Like, we're all, we've all been uploaded. 30 years? 10 years. Do no, you 10, think 10, yeah. there's this thing like direct indexing for bonds? It's coming. It's coming? 100%. That's like, that's Well, thing? what they're doing, they're using bond ETFs now. Yeah. Because who cares? The yield is... Well, it's... Cru- it's <laughs> fair. The yield yeah, 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 is zero. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. Nobody needs an unbundled... unbundled uh, but, but, but it's coming. Zero percent uh, rate. Uh, why? All right. Hold on. Why... Shout out to shout out to uh, the O'Shaughnessy boys. Uh, very yeah. proud of you guys. Congrats uh, and congrats to uh, Franklin. New uh, great new, acquisition. New look, yeah. new look, Franklin. Uh, why is Peter Maluk tweeting about target date funds at eight o'clock in the morning? And why are you arguing with him? I it's, wasn't. First of all, I love get these tweets on. I know you like. I him. love Peter. It's not no, personal. I, no, it's not at all. I love. No, actually, I I like literally never ever ever. Hold on, look how John formatted these tweets. You are you are a I, gem, sir. I never. One of my superpowers is like not giving shit about people's opinions. Maybe that sounds really dickish. I don't mean it that way. But <laughs> I just I generally I generally don't care about if I just disagree- wait. Stop. Could you imagine he tweeted that? <laughs> one of no, my I know. superpowers. I, I heard it. It sounds ridiculous coming out of my face. <laughs> no, but my point is when I see an opinion I disagree with, I don't get triggered. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, except, I, except in this case, I'm not triggered at all. I'm genuinely curious this because is a CFP right he, uh, probably he, who I thought Peter Maluk is he owns creative planning it's one of the biggest RAs in the yes, country he's a registered advisor he still works okay, so he's not just some he's legit okay. I have deep respect for him so I was genuinely curious why he said that uh, I just read his tweet go ahead okay target date funds are popular investment vehicles in 401k plans that's what we call in the business the setup 
That's unfortunate because they're a terrible choice for most people. That's the turn. Don't choose funds tied to your age unless there are limited options. Instead, choose a portfolio or a few funds aligned with your goals. And Batnick's like, okay, but why? No, because I, I, I was just I, – I genuinely wanted to hear his opinion. So Yes, fair enough. So, somebody had a great reply talking about if you're – depending on your risk tolerance and all that. And my whole point was I understand a professional rec- trying to recommend something better than a, a TDF. Yep. But what Peter said was uh, like for most people, they're a terrible choice. And my point is if you're not a financial pro- professional and maybe even if you are, they're a fantastic choice. What else are you supposed to, to do? If he would have said – Suboptimal instead of terrible. Exactly. Right. There would be no exactly. conversation. That, that, that's that's why I had. That's to, what Twitter does, yes. though. So, so so Peter said, with 15 minutes to an hour of education, they could do better. And I actually thought this was really interesting. Somebody said an hour of education would lead to materially worse returns for someone with no investment knowledge. And I I thought that was Wait, that, why that, are you nodding to that? that? Yes. Nailed it. Nailed it. So explain, Dan. The, the curse of like the what is it? It's like knowing climbing, a little, climbing Mount Stupid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it's that constant thing of like you don't know how much you don't know. And I have a friend. What's um, Mount Stupid? So you get a little bit up and you think you're at the top? Yeah, exactly. Okay, got and it. And then you like crash down the other side. And you, okay. you, you like, you start up by saying, you know, you don't know. Then you learn a little bit and you're like, no, I know stuff now. And then like, you're really wise when you're like, I know how much I don't actually know about this anymore. Right. So I think that's true because the, like, I have a, I have a good friend and wonderful person, dumpster fire financially. Yeah. And got involved in Robin Hood. And like, Is that John credit, Stein? Like, <laughs> He like he didn't get the whole like T plus T two clearing time type thing and like right. ended up getting overdrafted from his bank account, right? And so it was this whole like it wasn't strictly speaking like he chose bad stocks or whatever. He just got into a system that he didn't understand, but he thought he did. Okay, he thought he was com- comfortable and confident trading inside of it. Right, and he got like he he messed himself up. Of course. Um. So I think that's absolutely right. That it's very easy to spend a little bit of time in finance and get comfortable with terms and jargon and what you do and how the app works and think that you're good to go because like that's true of a lot I got of stuff. The, Facebook, like, I got Twitter, this. yeah, yeah, yeah. etc. Um. But like the the potential for downside, the stuff you don't understand is just it's different. There were so many things in that it was like. You know, number one, most people don't choose target date funds, right? I think it's yeah. like 80% default, of people default, get defaulted, defaulted to that. Right. Well, he's saying that. Yeah. He's saying it's a terrible choice that you're being defaulted to. There's there's like you have – if you're defaulting somebody, the only information you have about them is usually like their age. So here, I think here, here's what Peter's saying, and I do agree with this. If you are in – and the Vanguard target date funds, I mean they're, they're, they're dirt cheap. They're a couple of basis points. The 2040 funds, so assume, that's assuming I guess that you're going to be retiring in 20 years from now. So call it you're 40 years old. They're recommending 20% bonds, and I think it's a fair criticism that if somebody's going to be retiring, not dying in 20 years, right, they still have – ostensibly another 50 years of their life left, why do they need to own 20% of their portfolio in bonds that are yielded 1.3%? And I think that's a fair criticism, but I still nobody think they're, would I still be, think nobody they're would be option. saying that, though, if the stock market wasn't up 12% a year over the last 10 years. Like and yields you, weren't like... Nobody would be saying, 1. why 5. do they need to own 20% in bonds? Think about how insane that statement would have been. Like, even if you made it 10 years ago, yeah. why would I own 20% in bonds? What are you saying? I should be 100% stocks? Like a lot of this is the context of the world that we just 100%, are in. Yep. 100%. I, I do think it is correct, but I think this is a great, like perfect is the enemy of the good, mm. right? Like the thing right. that jumped out to me is, all right, so target date fund is just a single fund. And if you actually have a traditional and a Roth 401k and a traditional and a Roth IRA and your spouse's account, you can do some pretty slick stuff with like asset tax location, 
Um, the stuff that we did on it, this was impressive to me. It was like you end up with 30% more spendable money in retirement if you do that by putting different asset classes in different accounts. You know, like the Roth is tax-free. When bonds so, used to have a yield. Yeah. It's like – so the same asset – like no opinion about what the right asset allocation is, but where you hold them, if you can split it up and do smart stuff with it, you end up with more money. So I think that – but that's optimization, right? right? That's like level 10 wizardry right. of like – I'm going to do some pretty impressive stuff, um, and you'll end up with more money in 30 years when you're taking money out of the traditionals, the RMDs, et cetera. But like, yeah, like, am I going to say don't invest in a target date fund until you understand asset tax location? Yeah, absolutely not. You should. The expectation should not be that most people are going to even even if they spent that hour educating themselves. Okay, where do they begin? Right. They're not. Yeah. Exactly. So so TDF. You imagine where they're going to educate themselves on at, Market Watch. They're at yeah. least ninety five percent seeking as, alpha. They're at least ninety five percent towards perfect, in my opinion. Yeah. Like so, they're, 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 all right. So this is the money quote. We can end it. But he's saying pick a not. Uh, this is somebody re- replying to you guys, to you and Peter. Okay. Quote: Pick a target date fund and max your four hundred one k contributions and leave it alone. Is the highest. EV advice for 99% of people in the workforce. What is the highest electric vehicle advice? What is he saying? It's good. I just, I, what I just. What does EV mean in that context? We don't know. Expected value. Expected value. I just okay. want to end this with a quote from Peter and let him go out on, on good terms with this one. Uh, oh, no, you're done. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Real Grantham, Maluk, who else you want to fuck with this week? He said, okay. Peter said, the advice here is simply to do what is likely to create the best outcome. He said, 401k investing is better than not investing. Start now is better than waiting. Low cost is better than high cost. Risk-based model is better than the target date fund. Okay, whatever. We could, we could quibble with that. But by and large, we, we, you know, we, agree, we mostly agree. Well, yeah. we agree on all the important right, aspects right, of yeah, that. Right. And nobody should 100% agree on everything with everyone. I agree. So, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. You agree with that? I agree with I that. I don't agree, but yeah. You disagree? Good. Yeah. So that's how it should be. What is the office good for? Well, you're in my office. What do you think? So offices are fantastic yeah. at not the things that anybody thinks they're great for. All right, I want to hear this. Oh, let's right? Like, I don't, I don't get more work done in the office. I don't like you don't? code better. I don't work better. I don't like You're write joking, better. Right? But I enjoy speaking. Like, when you – this, I keep coming back to, like, when you have to have an uncomfortable conversation with a colleague, like, it is so much better if you can grab a beer with them after work. It is like if you want to just be like, oh, yeah, I forgot I wanted to ask you something. I hate writing up a Slack message, you know, to do that. So they're great for building up like I don't know what you want to call it, the camaraderie, the community kind of thing. It's like, yeah, like you're all humans. You're not just avatar. Do you see this? There was I think it was a Matt Levine thing where like on some call, one dude pretended to be another dude by using like. He was just um, talking about that to Michael. Yeah. It was Aussie media. Yeah. The founder was impersonating a YouTube executive, and the audi- the intended audience was Goldman Sachs bankers that were about to write them a huge check. Right. He was pretending that YouTube was really excited about Yesterday Aussie Yesterday I called Josh. I pretended to be Barry. <laughs> uh. So, like, I, I joked. So over the past year, I think Betterment's, like, hired up more than 50% of people remote, not New York City, right? Like, Wisconsin. And there's part of me that's, like, all, for all I could know, like, you know, like you're presenting on the screen as like an old person. You could be young. I don't know. Maybe it's just like CGI or something. But like being back in the office and being able to be like, hello, three-dimensional human being who's like a real person. Do you want to grab a coffee? Are you in five days a week? Two. Okay. But he, yeah, but you already admitted to me. You're, you're, you, you've been in the office, but you're escaping your house like I am. Yes. Okay. Yep. Which is also a great use case for offices. Yes. 
that we don't talk enough about. So I love I love coming in one day a week. I really do. I enjoy it. I love being home. Does it mean? Did that sound forced? The little like I, I love it. Really, dude. She's not listening to any of your podcasts. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, no, I know that. But I but I also I love being home. Yes. I love being home. I'm so much more. I get so much more work done at home. The focused work. The home, the like, you know, like just zoning in, not having distractions is fantastic. All right. So this this is from The Atlantic. A survey of more than 1,000 hiring managers implies that – ready for this? 40.7 million Americans expect ex, – this is what the workers expect – to be working remotely by 2026 or almost 28 percent of respondents according to a report by online freelance company Upwork. All right, so they're interviewing freelancers. I don't know if that's good. I don't know if that's a good sample. Never survey. I told you, never but, survey. No, they're, hi- they're, they're surveying hiring managers. I, I think that this, 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 this obviously COVID was like a watershed moment, but, it's, but in particular for the office, I, I, I don't think it's, I'm very confident it's never going back to five days a week for 100% of the population. What is that? Never, ever, ever. So are, are we all going to be in a WeWork? Like what is – like nobody More than wants half five of my days employees of are remote space. and I think it's fine. I, yeah. I understand that things are getting lost in translation. Um, I understand that it's not the same when you could like fist bump somebody and like have a conversation with them versus set up a Zoom. I agree with all of that. But I still think the pros – outweigh the cons. I have extremely talented people yeah. who would never have moved to New York to work for me. Absolutely. And I have amazing clients who even two years ago probably would not have become clients if they hadn't gotten used to doing so many other things online. Yep. And so I feel like that is outweighing the stuff that you're talking about, which I agree is important. Uh, but I don't think I would want it back. It the is other important, way. but it doesn't have to be all or nothing. So Derek Thompson wrote a piece in the Atlantic where he was talking about the study that was done on Microsoft employees. Mm-hmm. And what they found was that communication outside of groups declined. That makes sense, obviously. But communications within teams more uh, became more densely connected. So I think that like it, it's gotten smaller and there's some dangers yeah. to that. So it's not all good or all bad, but I think on balance, it's better than bad. It's better than, uh, yeah. So what, what are you, 400 people now? Yeah, I think less than that. I think like three fifty, but I'm not sure. And how, how I've like how many of them are meant to be in that office of yours in Manhattan? Can't think, be more than a hundred, right? Oh yeah, you yeah, know, I think the capacity there is probably like 200, 250. Okay, but um, I think the number of people we we had colleagues move from New York City to everywhere. Wait, were you employee like seven or five or something? Uh, twenty. What's the number that it gets to where you don't know everyone's name in the company? Oh, we were there years ago. No, I know. But what is that number? I'm curious. Yeah, it probably is like uh, like Dunbar's number is 125. That's what, the what like, Yeah, that, that was like that famous number. Oh, it's the, a study. So Robin Dunbar did this study of social groups and like the maximum size of cohesive social groups. And this was actually for the military. That's why you have like, I don't know what we're going to call them, platoons. Yeah, or, squadrons, or companies or whatever. Or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're very military. And it's tell. like, because when, all right, so like, there's five of us in this room. I like there's you and me. There's you and him, you and him. It's basically like the number of connections. I need to know what you know about him. Mm. And so the number of people you can actually keep track of their relationships. You do not want to know what I know about him. It goes up. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> well, I mean, right? So 125 is like the max where you actually keep track of people. Because otherwise you're like, hello, stranger. You know, like I have no idea whether or not you know Mike. Yeah, you know John. Even if know. you work in the same space, you're not going to interact with more than no. 20 people in a day no. unless you're hosting a meeting, right? So yeah. I, I could definitely see that being an issue. I just uh, – my take on this is, yes, we're losing something. But yeah, I so think much more. also we're gaining Agreed. something. So much more. And that it will be hard to remember what things were like. 
five years of this. So you get, but the thing to do is to invest in kind of like team building, you know, like let's all go spend a week in Tahoe and have an incredible time. And isn't that a much more meaningful interaction than, oh, I had coffee with this guy. Yeah. Like yeah, go deep. We stayed in a hotel room together. It got weird. <laughs> like that's to me, you'll have more memory of that. Uh, last thing before favorites I want to do. Are you going to get a pair of these? You're like a sci-fi guy, so I wanted to ask you about oh, this. Yeah, what, what is it? Facebook Ray-Bans. Do we, we have a picture for this? I didn't even cl- I purposely didn't click on this link. I wanted to be explained. Oh. What the hell is this? Wait, right. Google Glass. You're a Ray-Ban guy. Are those your Ray-Bans? Oh, those are almost exactly what my- That's what you wear. I wear the boyfriend sunglasses. They're like the largest lens size Ray-Bans. They look a little bit like this, but there's no camera on it. These are Ray-Ban collaboration with Facebook- and basically, you could live stream to the internet God, I'm what so you're seeing. Out. I am so out. If you want to see an example of this, uh, you know John Steinberg no. from uh, Cheddar, founder no. of Cheddar? Can we throw a video up? Do we have a video of this? Uh, it's on his Instagram. Okay. I don't know if we could do that. We should get these and, and record a Compound and Friends episode wearing I, them. What? Yeah, or not. <laughs> uh, I, I, saw, I saw this Instagram thing that John posted. He's like, I guess he's on vacation playing tennis. And I guess he has a pair of these. So you're watching he, the video on his Instagram is him hitting tennis balls back and forth across the net with somebody, but you're seeing it from his perspective like it's you. Like you're the one playing tennis. Does that make sense? It, it, it does. I just don't understand why anybody would want to do it. Yeah. Um, so it's like first-person video like where it could be you. Don't let your mind go there. I, I, know, but, yes. I know, but don't. It didn't until just now. Okay. <laughs> and now And now it's stuck there. So you could see the world through someone else's eyes, literally. And this is very Isn't creepy to me. Isn't this the third time? We had Google Glass. Mm-hmm, that was a flop. How'd that go? We had Snapchat glasses, oh, which really? I think were the same thing as Spectacles. This. Spectacles. Put some respect on, the, on, on their name. Uh, yeah, this is the third version. I don't know. What, what's different? What's different is this is going to live stream that video to your audience. Oh, it's live streaming. Yes. So like the they're, next- they're, It's not, dude, it's not, uh, it's not a GoPro. It's like literally- press a button or do something on your phone and what you're seeing is being broadcast to all your followers on Instagram or Facebook. Or I think whatever. I'm really out on this idea. I, I, c- I can think of two use cases like police concerts and police. Oh, concerts. I didn't even think about that. But for concerts, you could just hold up your phone. I guess it's easier That's for the, the thing. Yeah. But you can, you're going to wear some, yeah. and then it has, it has speaker, it has microphones. It's picking up the sound too. Um, this could get very dangerous. I mean, unless someone's like, wait, why? It's great that we're having this meeting about illegal why, activity. Why, is there why are you wearing <laughs> Ray-Bans? <laughs> just, no, there should be a red light when it's recording. Yes. Just so but I, I saw somebody, they said it's really easy to disconnect that. Like what, there is the a red light, light that goes on when it's recording, but like if you know what you're doing, you go in with a little uh, thing and you just yeah. tick it off. and then it How about goes. just don't show up to our drug deal with sunglasses on and I won't have to assume you're streaming me to Facebook. Like that would be good enough. Uh, all right, so you're not in. You're out. Oh, like completely out. You I'm think lame. you're out? I, I have another sci-fi question for you uh, related, but let's do favorites. Michael, you're up first. What do you mean sci-fi related question? I have another sci-fi related question later on. Okay. I just finished Squid Game. What is that? You know about Squid Game? No. Show me. It is. Oh, I saw an How do we this. describe this? It's the Hunger Games mixed with. What country you is said, this from? Uh, Hunger Games and you also. Snowpiercer and yeah. Black Mirror. Yeah. Was that it? Uh, Korea, it's the number one show on Netflix right now. It might be, it might be the most streamed show on Netflix of all time. Watch it with subtitles or with subtitles, dumb? subtitles. So I, I'm not really going to recommend this to the average audience person. Like if you've, if you're going to watch this, you've probably already watched this. It's incredibly disturbing and violent. But that being said, it is so well 
directed, produced, written. This was a monster, monster show. Why is it called Squid Game? Do they work for Goldman Sachs? And the, the, the name of the show, yeah. The name of the show is not necessarily relevant, but I was just, I was blown away by the production of, of what they accomplished here. Okay, we'll check that. It's on Netflix? It's on, it's the number one show on Netflix. They didn't put that in front of me yet. Oh, it's the number one. Like, well, what's good, about the sh- what's good about the show, if like if you want to dabble, like if you watch the first episode and you hate it, like stop right there. You yep. know, it's one of those. So it's not, you, you got to do that. You got to have a stop loss. Well, you, I days. love shows like that where you don't have to commit, you know, after one episode of whether it's your cup of tea or not. And this yeah. is definitely that. Uh, what, what have you brought us today for favorites? Um, it's not one I've done yet, but I'm super hype about foundation. Okay. Mm. The foundation series. That's what I was going to ask you. I've not seen it yet, but Dave Nate gave it a proper thumbs up. Oh yeah. I was, oh. I'm, I'm in that like dangerous territory where I kind of don't want to watch it in case they mess it up. I was so that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about because I just saw the promo for it on Apple TV. Promo looks good. And what else did he he wrote? iRobot is like what yeah. he's famous for, and this 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 is like his yeah. This is like his Lord of the Rings, right? Yes, Foundation. Absolutely. Yep. What's it like? It's a series. What's yeah. like the third, 30 second version? Um, what's it know, about? What's his name? Um, Ben Hunt. His company's named after it. It's called Second Foundation. Okay. All right. So, um, thirty second thing. Um, Galactic civilization, men can travel through space, etc. But so it's, it's based hard. on a true story. Yeah, exactly. Okay. In the future. Okay. I'm I'm from there. It will it will come to pass. So um, but like civilizations just fall under their own weight, like fall of the Roman Empire, but at a galactic level. Okay. And so this is happening and you're about to enter into like a dark age, you know, like just civilization goes away, you lose all of the knowledge of it. And so there's a foundation that's bent to say, like, can we put it off? Can we make that dark age as short as possible? And it's the story of the people trying to do that at like a civilizational level. And I'm not going to ruin it, but like okay. in the second yeah, book, there's a real imagine. Plot twist. Imagine everything goes away, but the only thing left from modern pop culture is Blind Melon. That would work for me. The first album, not so much the second album. Duncan, I, I, think, you, I think I'm in for this. You look excited for uh, Foundation. You look fired up for this. Uh, I actually have never seen no idea. This, I've, yeah, this is the first time I'm seeing seeing this. You want to run out of here right now? And watch the trailer. You can yeah, it sounds want. interesting. They've got capes. I love capes. Like hood, hoodies. Is anybody good in this? It's like Reese Witherspoon. I've, I've not seen anything. I've just heard okay. good things. All right, they'll screw it up. Because oh, <sighs> do you have high hopes for uh, for Dune? I get, yes, that, I do. That, 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 the, the trailers look. I good. guarantee. I guarantee. I give my personal guarantee. That's a can't miss. You know why? It has the best director in the world. His name is Denis Villeneuve. Not to brag. It's not going to be the best movie of the fall, though. <laughs> yeah, who said that they thought it was going to be the best movie of like Michael? Year he's or so something? excited. No, about I'm, this. I'm, I'm positive. It's okay. not going to be better than the Jay-Z cowboy movie. Just stop it right with now. Idris D- Elba. It definitely won't be better okay. than that. Dune will be the best movie of the year. You excited? I mean, you must yes. be a, you must be a Dune guy. But the original movie is like a budget of $12. It yes. looks like shit. Yeah, it looks rubbish. Yeah. Okay. It's a hard. Dune's hard. Dune, the whole story is super hard. It's hard to bring to the screen, which is why they waited 30 years in Timothy between. Chalamet, Zendaya, Jason Momoa, Oscar Isaac, Batista, this guy. You know that guy, that guy, yeah, that guy. Javier Bardem, a lot of that guys. Josh Brolin's in this. It's it's a can't miss. All Actually, right. and I'm gonna flip it. The other thing I haven't seen it yet, but I'm hyped about. I don't know if you guys seen the Star Wars Visions. Yeah, it's I saw. A, I saw you, it's you it's seen like them? famous anime directors doing like uh, standalone cartoon episodes. Uh, I saw two of them. What'd you I, think? I was kind of like multitasking. I just had it on, but it, it looks it looks really cool. Like I, visually, it's sick. That's what I like is when they bring in like. People to have a different take on yes. something that exists, right? It works. Like, it works in this case. If you're if you're like a Star Wars person, or if you're an anime person, ideally if you're both, it 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 hits. Like it's you know, I don't think it's like for casual v- viewers, but they definitely know their audience. 
Um, I want to talk about No Sudden Move, and then and then we'll get out of here. Worth watching? Did you watch it? I watched 15 minutes, and I fell asleep. No, no, no disrespect. I, li- I, was, I should have watched it, but I, I want to commit what, to it. How many edibles deep were you? No, yeah, I was late. I want to commit. I want All to right. commit. What about you? You see this yet? No. So the, HBO this is the new Soderbergh but movie. It's yep. Benicio, so. I'm, let, let me tell you. Let me tell you. This is the best cast in any movie I've seen since, like, an Ocean's Eleven, and it's Soderbergh. Yeah. So, of course. Uh, just listen to the names. Okay. Don Cheadle. Right. Benicio del Toro, David Harbour, who's from Stranger Things. Yep. Yep. Uh, Amy Simetz, I guess, is good. I don't know who that is. John Hamm from uh, Mad Men, Ray Liotta, Kieran Culkin, the best person from Succession, Brendan Fraser. He's back. Dude, he's back he's and he's back. great in this. And the girl from Uncut Gems, uh, Julia Fox. Heck yeah. Everybody in this is a murderer. Yep. Everybody. So they shot it's a it's a it's supposed to be like a 1950s film and it takes place then it's a gangster movie but they shot it with like cinematic techniques from the era mm-hmm. and you can really see it if you're watching but it's in color it's not in black and white but other than that it feels like a noir from the 50s and it's scripted that way and it's Soderbergh and it's just it's so it's so good. I don't want to say anything about what it's about. Right, I'll watch just, it tonight. You should just really like get into it. Um, no gummies, just sitting. Just, just, just trust me. I do have a new favorite there. All I, right. I thought you were gonna say, "Oh, I brought gummies." <laughs> I was gonna say, t- "Turn off the, uh, turn off the cameras." Um, for weeknights, I want like a beer at the end of work, but yeah. I do not want alcohol because it just—I'm too old. I'm over forty now. You look at alcohol, you get hungover. Uh, Bravus, Bravus. I'm not having B R A V U S. Does like really good non-alcoholic beers. They've got a blood orange IPA. It's like fantastic. Does it have the calories though? It's no, they're lower. They're like fifty to seventy calories per twelve ounce. Mm. So it's not as much. It's they're still there though. You said you. How old are you? Forty. And that's where you are. I'm still drinking nine percent beers, so I'm a no for that. Yeah, you've arrived at this place yeah. a little bit too early. I got to be honest with you. Damn. We got next time we do this, we got we got to have plans to, to go out for like blood orange, beers. Though. That looks good. Ugh. Uh, all right, so Refreshing. so so check out all our favorites, and I guess we'll post links to some of this, or we won't. But you guys will be able to find all this stuff. Did you have fun today? Absolutely. This is this was dope, right? This is good. Yeah, it's, it's been, good to see. You. We're we in a room together. You. This is I know, awesome. I know, dude. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for coming by. We had a, we had a blast. Duncan, did you learn something today? Yeah, yeah, I learned some stuff. You learned and some also, stuff. I agree with you about the movie. No sudden move. That's good. You like? Oh, you liked it. Yeah. So where where were you just now? Yeah. What? Oh, chime, I, chime I in. What'd you, you take? As a as a uh, a cinema person, or what are not? Nah, you're not a cinema person. I, I'm a film person. Yeah, you yeah. are a film person. Film. So what did I not say right, or what did I miss that was that made it really cool? No, I I think you're right. I I, I think it was my favorite Soderbergh since uh, Informant, maybe, which I liked a lot Is years that ago. Matt Damon. Um, Let's see that one. Yeah, that was a great one. He yeah. definitely made this one as one of his crowd pleasers. This wasn't one of his art films. Uh, well, I thought it kind of walked the line, right? You yeah, know, it, because he's he's kind of got that noir fuel, you know. And yeah, I thought it was good. It was some good, it was some good Soderbergh. All right, John killed it this week. Thank you. Welcome back. How was Portugal? Good. Oh, it was wonderful. I probably should ask you at the top of the show. <laughs> we'll we'll talk more about that another time. Duncan, thank you. Great job. Uh, where do you want people to follow your stuff? You want people to follow you on Twitter? Yeah, da- Daniel underscore Egan on Twitter. All right, at Daniel happens. underscore Egan on Twitter. And needless to say, if you don't know what to do with your money and you haven't checked out Betterment yet or our version of Betterment called Liftoff, Liftoff. or whatever, it's a nice option. It's not going to be as exhilarating as trading through quad witching or whatever, but it's it, it gets the job done. Uh, you guys are doing a great job. Congrats on the money raise. Thank you very much. Absolutely, man. Uh, Mike, you good? 
Very good. Any parting words to the audience? No, I'm great. All right. Have a good weekend. Guys, if you want to see video clips from the show, go to youtube.com slash the compound RWM. Check out idonshop.com for the latest in financial blogger fashion. Look for Animal Spirits every Monday and Wednesday. Your favorite podcast, my favorite podcast, and we will be back next week. See you then. All right, take us out of here. Those have no THC in we them. Almost, we're almost out of outfits. I know. No, we have time. It's a dump truck full. We have a dump truck. We have a dump truck. We dump truck full of outfits. Yeah, this is great. That was great, guys. All right, so we're going to record now. <laughs>